Hello, I'm Darren Heath, and I'd like to introduce Caroline Stoltman, Chief Executive of the Association of Corporate Treasurers. We're coming now towards the end of our series, which commenced in January 2020. So I know Caroline would love to get any feedback you might have. In the meantime, today's podcast is all about data garbage. Thanks, Darren. This is something I was prompted to think about during an event in the Middle East where a very interesting person, Dr Jack Sim from the World Toilet Organisation, stood up and talked about data garbage and its dangers. It really made me think. In today's high-tech world, we've certainly built a reliance on data and somehow there's a tendency to view it all as good. To speak out against it would be demonstrating an old-fashioned way of thinking, a lack of moving with the times and something we should be cautious of. Big data's got to be good, right? The thing is, of course, not all data is good. We're bombarded with so much data every day that's not really relevant to us, neither to our work nor in our private lives. We can filter out stuff we don't want to see, but in the meantime, Facebook and other social media sites are deciding who we want to hear from, using algorithms which are actually narrowing down our taste and limiting us from having a broader view and indeed one we might like. And a lot of this is not made clear to us, so people carry on in blissful ignorance well, perhaps not quite, wondering why they're always seeing the same people's posts. And others are wondering why you're not looking at their pictures anymore. Data also is a problem in the workplace, where we need to use it, of course. But sometimes there's so much that no human being could ever absorb it all. And some of it's just what Jack called it, data garbage. We don't need it, it serves no purpose, and we should get rid. But how can we discern what's good and what's bad? What can we do to ensure we aren't overloaded by rubbish? Certainly, an audit of the data we have is a start point. I've carried this out in a number of organisations, and it's amazing how much data builds up in some cultures due to a compulsion almost to have as many facts and figures as can be produced. Unilever was great at this in the noughties when I was there. But if you looked at all the reports being produced, a major percentage were not adding any particular value. They were either duplicative irrelevant, or even misleading in terms of the purpose for which they were used. Next comes the rationalisation. And it's really interesting how people will cling to reports they really don't use to take any actions, somehow feeling safer by having the data there. But you need to be firm and prune as much as possible. This can be harder for some than others. If you think about your wardrobe and, say, that of a partner or a person close to you, do you both have the same number of clothes? Does one of you find it much harder to do a clear-out and reduce your wardrobe to a manageable size? Personality analyses such as StrengthsFinder identify those of us who like to hoard things, including data. And that tells us that this can be a strength as well as a weakness. It can be very useful to be able to go to that person who can put their fingertips on everything and keeps copies of things which might be useful every 20 years or so. It can also be exhausting. Here I'm focusing on the negative side because I believe it's become more of a problem as time has gone on and our lives have become so busy and challenging with things being thrown at us left, right and centre. If we just consider data in terms of emails, I think we'd all agree that this is a huge challenge. I worked out a few years back that to read all my emails properly but not even respond to them, I'd be at it all my working day and more. So, how to fit in meetings and how to do the work I want to get done, rather than be the puppet whose strings are being pulled by those keyboard puppeteers. It's a constant challenge, but in an interview with Paul Boyle that we had recently, he uses the analogy of a jigsaw to prioritise your work, including emails.
There's, of course, your own behaviour which you can address and which has the advantage of being under your control. Unsurprisingly, I find if I write fewer emails, I get fewer back. This excludes, of course, the awful barrage of spam or indeed retailers who get you on a list and hound you ever after, where even the unsubscribe process is a nightmare. So by being discerning with what you write, you can gain efficiencies in your inbox too. Speaking to people at work rather than mailing, and even having a day a week where no purely internal emails are allowed, are things which have been effective in organisations I've worked in or known. It's worth a try. And finally, the challenge of the CC. Some people don't like to be CC'd or copied in to emails, and some people do. We want to be included, but we don't want so many emails. At one point in Unilever, an IT policy said that people were not to mail thank yous to others. I challenged this, as I think it's very important to thank people, and I was very concerned that such a policy could have a cultural impact which could be damaging. But I can see why you might want to exercise care in terms of how many you copy into that thank you note. And we certainly mustn't ignore the carbon footprint each email leaves. In any case, the overall problem is one I've only been able to tackle by talking to others and asking their preferences. Ultimately, we need to exercise judgment. And again, being explicit has a role to play here. Thanks, Caroline. I'm feeling overloaded just thinking about it. So maybe next week's topic, saying no, is quite fitting. Please do join us then. But in the meantime, goodbye from me, Darren Heath, and from Caroline. And thank you for listening.